And I really believe in communities. When I talk about creativity and what I want my students to be, I want them to understand community. So I want them to be visible. Thinking about how to become visible in a community-based world and how you can actually contribute and build something with the community is something that they cannot do at all. And I generalize. Some of them are really good at it, but most of them don't even understand it. And when we talk about education, I think that's what education is about because it's going to happen, this decentralized thing. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. From predictable pricing to flexible configurations to world-class customer support, you'll get access to all the infrastructure services you need to grow. Plus, DigitalOcean's community provides over 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Welcome to the Hackernoon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Eric Vermelin. He's one of Hackernoon's top contributors, and he's a law professor and executive. In this episode, we discuss decentralization, automation, and the future of where all this stuff is going and how it impacts the next generation and students. So if you're a younger person trying to get a grasp on what's happening with technology today and where all this is going, this is a great episode coming straight from a professor who considers himself a member of Gen X and explaining to millennials why you need to be a millennial and not try to fit into some other box that doesn't apply to you. Because the future is about you know working together and co-creating. Stay tuned. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Eric. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Good. You know, uh, my name is Eric, uh, Eric Vermeulen. I'm from the Netherlands. I am almost 50 years old, but I, I feel very young and I've never been more creative in my life. And uh, one of the reasons is that I, uh, you know, started to blog every week. I'm an academic, so, you know, I was used to write. But at one point I realized that, you know, writing academic papers doesn't have the impact that they need. Uh, I realized that Probably only five people will read them. And going to conferences as well, that was not exciting either. Uh, So I thought, no, no, we have to get more impact, start writing. First time I wrote a blog, I thought, well, this will be a huge success. I will have like 100,000 people reading it. Then I realized there was only one, and that was my dad. So I thought, God, what what am I doing wrong? So then I thought, well, you know, we have to be consistent. So that's why I started to write every week. And as I mentioned, you know, I've never been more creative. I write on digitization and how the world is actually changing because of that, how it changes the way we work, the way we live, the way we play. And, you know, I have many students, they're all millennials, and I try to inspire them, I get them ready for the new world because I really believe in decentralization and automation. And I think that robots will not, you know, uh, replace us. Definitely they will automate the standardized work and I think we're all happy about that. I'm also a practitioner and I think many of my colleagues are waiting for the automation because 80% of the work that they do is really boring. Then I said, okay, you know, if this is the new world, we have to make my students more creative. So let's work on that because that's where education is kind of failing these days. Uh, We are preparing our students for the old world and not the new world. That's basically what I do in a, in a nutshell. 
can you talk a little bit about the education system and the failures that you're seeing there? Yeah, sure. I think we prepare students for the old world. So we teach them procedures and processes. Basically, we teach them everything that machines can do better now and in the future. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we prepare them for a, a, a career without actually a job. I was teaching this afternoon and uh, I was talking to many students about this because we were talking about blockchain and, and automation and machine learning. And it scared the hell out of them because it saw, they said, well, you know, if machines can do what you, or at least what the system teaches us, that's not good. So I think we have to make them creative, let them be millennial, because, you know, what I hear from many of my colleagues is they say, well, you know, millennials are lazy and they don't do what we did. But I think they see it all wrong. Yes, the world changed. The, we, we are smarter because, you know, Google is just, uh, it's on your phone. So whenever you want to know something, you can basically Google it and you know the answer. Mm-hmm. But we have to teach them things that machines cannot do. And that's being creative, thinking out of the box, and basically living with machines. And I think then we will be in good shape. But education has to change. I write a lot about that. And I get many comments. I think 90% of the people support it, but they have no clue how to do it because we are kind of stuck in that system. And I think universities have to be very careful because otherwise they will be disrupted. Uh, Because the only reason why they exist is that they can give this certificate, this degree. Whenever that's going to be opened up and we can get certificates while you know, doing courses online, it will be problematic for universities. Smarter universities get it, so they do things like Coursera. I think we need universities, but we have to teach the students to become more creative and, and you know, see what the world is, is going to be with automation, robot, uh, robotics, etc., etc. So it's a good, new, exciting world. Well, you know, you keep hitting on the point of creativity. And I think uh, I agree with you that, you know, you can't teach a machine to be creative. Um, That's the one thing that, uh, you know, all these algorithms, machine learning, blockchain is not going to change creativity uh, at a human level. And that's one of the unique things to, you know, our species and humanity that you just can't program. So you can be a creative programmer, but you can't program creativity. It's funny that you say this because, uh, you know, I was at a conference and, uh, you know, I, I'm Dutch. So one of the biggest artists is Rembrandt. And what they did is they, um, they had an, an AI looking at all the paintings of Rembrandt and then they let the AI paint something, not a Rembrandt painting, but it was exactly what Rembrandt would paint. And there they said, well, you see that the machine can actually be creative. And I think that's right. You know, if you just look at, uh, I think machines can make music, they can paint, but that's the other creativity that we need is being creative in the world, you know, how, what the world will look like in the future. That's something that machines cannot figure out probably, and we have to do this. But it's also a way to, to work and live with machines that we have to teach them. This sounds all like Star Trek, but it's, it's something that I think about a lot. So yeah, this creativity is just really interesting. So yes, machines can be creative, but not at the level as we are. I think we can be creative in, in shaping the world. And that's something that machines probably cannot do. Yeah, and I would argue the point of reference for them is they have to analyze another human's creativity. Like you said, they had to analyze that's right. existing creativity to then replicate what a human did. So they can't just... Yes organically sit down with a blank slate 
they have to have some kind of data or reference material to then mimic what creativity might look like. Exactly. So we, we are there and I think that's what we have to teach our students to be creative and create things that we haven't thought about yet instead of just replicating. And that's something that education in general doesn't do. And I had this view already for a long time, but then I got support from Jack Ma uh, when he was at the World Economic Forum saying that we should uh, teach our students everything but the things that machines can do better. And he was talking about art, sports, etc. And I kind of agree with that. And we, we should definitely do that. But in order to do that, I think the educational system should change. If it doesn't change, it will disrupt itself. So I'm not too worried. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. From predictable pricing to flexible configurations to world-class customer support, you'll get access to all the infrastructure services you need to grow. Plus, DigitalOcean's community provides over 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean with a free $100 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. And so you've written quite a bit recently about like millennials and, you know, you wrote another piece recently about, uh, you know, Generation X and kind of how they compare. Can you kind of, you know, summarize, you know, some of the, the points of some of those articles and some of the thoughts you've had on those topics recently? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, you know, because I, I deal with students a lot and, you know, I also work in practice. I'm involved in hiring. And whenever I ask a student, to go, you know, the thing is, Students, they write the CV, they all look the same, so I really don't look at them anymore. The letters, they all look the same. Then they send me the grades. Not really interested in that either. I just want to see them and see whether they are ambitious and creative. But what I noticed was that I get these people, they are like 20, 22-year-old. I'm 50, almost 50, I'm 49. But sometimes I have a feeling, God, I'm talking to a 75-year-old here in front of me. This guy could be my dad. And, and I said, you know, why are you doing this? Because I wanted to hire, seriously, we want to hire millennials. Mm-hmm. And I hate this millennial because I don't think it's, it's age-related, it's a kind of mindset. But, but okay, we, when we talk about millennials, we talk about younger people, so the younger generation. The generation. And I want them because I know that the world is changing and I need their input. I believe in the best idea wins culture, you know, very flat hierarchy where these people, where we co-create. So I want them to become part of the team as a millennial, not as a 22-year-old acting like a 70-year-old. That makes no sense to me. So I basically told them this, and I wrote this. It was kind of an open letter to millennials. And, And the responses were interesting. I think most people agreed and said, yeah, that's right, and we should be millennials. Because I think millennials should be millennials. So they should leverage, you know, the tech knowledge that they have. They should be adventurous. They should be ambitious, all that stuff. And, uh, but then uh, some said, well, you, me, make, you make a mistake because if we don't adapt and when we have these interviews and we don't act like a Gen X person, we will not be hired. I've been thinking about this and I've discussed this with many of my colleagues and I don't think that's true actually because many organizations these days, they know that they will be disrupted. Look at banks, for instance. They can hardly get talent because talent either want to work at Google or one of the other, Amazon, or, and most of them prefer that, a startup, a fintech company or a tech fin company, but not like a traditional bank. So what these banks are doing, they set up subsidiaries as far away as possible from headquarters, 
but try to get talent, including the millennials, to be millennial in order to disrupt the bank. So basically, they set up a subsidiary with a purpose of disrupting the parent company, which is kind of interesting. But we all, all companies in the world will be disrupted. They all have different things. So for instance, I will work at Philips Lighting. So we, uh, we sell light bulbs and uh, we are pretty big. But these things are now LED and they last for 15 years. So if your business model is just selling and replacing lamps, you'll be out of business very soon. So you have to transform to, from a traditional lighting company to, to an Internet of Things company. But in order to do this, you need to get input from millennials. All people have to work together. So when we hire millennials, we need a millennial, not a millennial acting like a Gen X or baby boomer. Yeah, you know, they, they are not convinced. Uh, but I talk to my students all the time and I tell them, you know, just be millennial. And some get it. And that these are the guys that I hire. Now, with respect to Gen X, that's another interesting thing. I am a Gen X. And they have the feeling that digitization and digital transformation, well, that will not happen anytime soon. So they basically are in denial, which I think is a mistake. Or you have the guys that think, well, it's all about retrofitting. So, oh, no, we have this old system. Yeah, maybe blockchain or AI can improve it. And I don't think they get it either. I think the new world and digitization will lead to more decentralization and basically create a completely new world. And we have to be open to that. And that's where the co-creation uh, and dialogue comes in. I really believe in decentralization, co-creation, dialogue, and creativity. No, and you know those are those are some of the topics I've been trying to cover on this show. Is kind of showing people that there is a paradigm shift right now. There's basically two tech industries. There's the centralized tech industry, and there's the decentralized tech industry. And if you look at Hacker Noon, uh, which you know is an interesting place because you yourself, you know, you contribute to Hacker Noon. You're one of our, you know, one of our writers. Uh, you know, the content on Hacker Noon is the beat of the people. That is, you know, it, it's all contributor based. So. We're not setting an agenda of you need to write about blockchain this week. People are writing about blockchain because that's what the decentralized tech industry is interested in. But if you go look at TechCrunch, for example, TechCrunch is nothing about, it's only about centralized tech. It's the old tech industry. Um, if you look on Hacker Noon, it's the new decentralized tech industry because that's where things are going in the future. Uh, and it's, it's two different worlds. Um, they don't, these two worlds don't even necessarily even talk to each other at this point. Um, they're two separate, like they're two separate industries right now, and they'll probably remain two separate industries for a while. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But um, yeah, I'm a strong believer in the decentralized world, and and that's one of the reasons why I, I started to blog and and write on Hacker Noon, um, because you know, as an academic, you have to write academic papers, and I still have to do this, you know, because the university wants me to do that, so I do that. But that's, to me, the centralized system. And what you get is the following. So you write an article, you submit it, and it can take up to four years before that thing is published. You know, that's kind of, you, you, that's history, you know? That's, and I don't want to write history. I want to write about the future. So there's another way that you post them online. But even there, it's, it's slow. Um, it doesn't really work well. And what I like about Hackanoon and the decentralized system is what you said is the community base. And I really believe in communities. Mm -hmm. and, and when I talk about, you know, creativity and what I want my students to be, I want them to understand community. So I want them to be visible. Now, when I look at my students, it's really amazing 
how few are actually on social media. And I don't mean, you know, drinking beer and taking all these pictures of having parties, but thinking about how to become visible in a community-based world and how you can actually contribute and build something with the community is something that they cannot do at all. And I generalize. Some of them are really good at it, but most of them don't even understand that. And when we talk about education, I think that's what education is about because it's going to happen, this, you know, uh, this decentralized thing. And then when I look at my students, so for today, we talked about uh, Skillshare. And I like, you know, there are 300 students in that lecture room. And I think 10 have heard about it. Uh, and I think they should understand what's happening because if, and I will go back to the automation point. If most of the standardized work will be automated, many of the students will not find a job because when they start their career, they do the standardized work, but that will be automated. So they have to become visible already now. They have to understand how to become part of a community, how to build a community. So some of my students also started to write on Hack and I'm very happy about that because what I like about it is the co-creation. So I post something, the comments give me just feedback that I think, oh, God, man, I never thought about it. I have to improve this. And that's what I really, really like about this decentralized world. Yep. And I think blockchain, well, I think that's, that's indeed, it's still in the, let's say, Model T phase is experimental, but it will happen. It's just getting there. And AI will contribute to that as well. I think when you have AI blockchain together, that will be even more decentralized than a better decentralized rule, probably. But we have to co-create that together, and that's why I believe in communities, that's why I believe in Hackanon, and that's why I believe in this podcast, that's why I believe in, you know, communities. Communities are critical. I mean, if you look at what's happening right now, you know, we're doing a crowdfund with Hackernoon, and the communities supporting us, um, because we're trying to get away from the centralized platform that is Medium. Uh, and so that we can continue down a decentralized path and continue to build tools for our community uh, and be able to, you know, supply traffic and continue to do everything that we're doing right now, but be able to do it better. You know, community is critical. And, it, you know, I've never thought about it until you presented it that way. You know, there, there really is a lack of education about what a community is and how to build one. Yes, definitely. Uh, because what we, when you just look at universities, but not only universities, all levels of education, we teach them, and that's, I think, normal. We teach them the old world, which is definitely a centralized world. It's a world of hierarchies. It's a world of seniority. It's a world where you build a career and then see where seniority is going to tell you what to do. Now, my grandparents, you know, they lived in that world, and they were very happy about that. They would never, ever say, tell their, uh, you know, their boss that he was wrong. Oh, my God, no, that boss was a kind of God. He lived in a bigger house, and that's just the way it was. But right now, you know, sometimes we hear these things. There is no, that's not true. So we, we need to get this best idea wins culture. Then you become flatter. And in a decentralized system, well, I think we start co-creating, but you have to play a certain role there. You have to become visible. You have to understand it. And um, I, I'm a real believer in it. And I give you one example, and many people give this example, is Wikipedia, which is kind of interesting. Now, when, I, when my students started to refer to Wikipedia, like you know, seven years ago, I would definitely kill them because I would say, God, man, that cannot be right. You have to find a real source. 
now Wikipedia is actually pretty good. It's, it's in many cases much better than the other systems. Mm-hmm. Not that it's perfect, but it shows how powerful communities can be. Mm-hmm. And, and I give you another example that I experienced. I was in Kuala Lumpur last week. And, you know, we, we use Grab, which is the Uber of uh, Southeast Asia. And uh, at one point, you know, we had all these taxis around us. And uh, we still relied on, on the, the ride-sharing system. It's not completely decentralized yet, but it's better than the old taxi system because, you know, all these guys were kind of shady. I didn't trust them. I had to pay two ringgit, which is like $20 cents. So it's nothing. I can't afford that. But still, I didn't want to pay that because it didn't feel right. So I was just waiting for that one guy to show up in his car. I didn't even know whether the guy had a driver's license, but I trust the system because I trust, you know, the reviews and I trust what the people do. So this is, the, this is just a step towards more decentralization. And what you described, I think that's, that's, we get to more, to a more decentralized world. But in order to do that right, we have to put this in our educational system and we don't, we don't do that at all. So most of my colleagues, when I say writing a blog is a test, so they have to write a blog or they have to, to do something on, like, you know, just do a podcast. They would say that's not academic enough. I would say, well, you are completely stupid because that's a new world. Letting them write an academic paper is fantastic. I don't say it's wrong, but definitely look at the new ways of communicating because that's the way, that's where the world is going. We cannot stop that. I'm convinced. Yeah. I mean, look at YouTube, look at some of the people that have millions of followers on these platforms. I mean, there are people at this moment while we are recording this that are playing video games that have more people watching them play video games than, you know, there are people who watch the Super Bowl. Um, that is oh, like- yeah, no, I, I, the, <laughs> the gaming, I use it as an example all the time. It's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, people that don't take the, the gaming industry seriously, oh, man, they are wrong. So you're right. And I watched it, actually. You know, my wife and I were having dinner, and I was here watching with my, uh, with my iPad, and we put it on. It's actually quite interesting, you know? Yeah. We were just sitting there. There was a guy. That, it was Sunday morning because it was here was the afternoon. So we watched somebody in the U.S. So it was a Sunday morning for him. And he was just playing a game and commenting on it. And there were like thousands of people watching it. And I was actually watching it as well. It was kind of, kind of funny. Afterwards, I thought, this is not rational. But, but it was interesting. <laughs> it's not rational. It's, it's totally irrational. And it's totally human to watch other people play games. Um, and but it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's, uh, I think uh, watching them, what is interesting, what I like about the community base is that it's about co-creation, but also about you know, sharing um, skills, sharing experience. So what I like about reading blogs, listening to podcasts, or watching videos, is that people are willing to, to share their experience so you become smarter. So their experience become your experience. And this is a very important thing about communities. And now taking this back to the old world of conferences, for instance, you know, I go to many conferences and it's a fantastic place to do your email because most of these presentations are kind of boring. But as soon as somebody starts talking about his own experience and just telling his story, everybody will stop checking their email and just listen to that person because that person will enrich you. Basically they will give, their experience to you so you can learn from that and do it different or you know 
take that into account when you start doing something like that. That's what I like about the community. Another thing that I really like about it is that um, there's, there's no jealousy. You know what I mean? So people that have more followers than I have, that's okay because you, you, you want to learn from them and you want to get there. But it's not a real competition with what I kind of like. And in the old world, it seems like when I compare what my colleagues do with downloads, they all start comparing and it's like a ridiculous competition. And I like this this sharing much more where people try to help each other. It seems like a more honest world. I generalize now. You know, there might be some weird things going on in the decentralized world as well. But what I find so far, it's really good. And I was afraid when I started to blog, I was afraid of bad comments and all that stuff, but that's not the case. Sometimes people are critical and then you think about it, they are right. It's either I wrote it in the wrong way or was not clear enough, or they have a point and I will take this into account when I write my next story. So it makes me smarter. And um, I probably mentioned it already, but I've never been more creative in my life than I am now. So I'm very, very happy in this world. Yeah, I mean, writing, I, I was a writer before I started doing this podcast. I still write today. It's probably the most critical tool that I have for self-expression. It's, it's powerful. There's nothing that's ever going to change that. And we can have all the tech, all the automation, all the blockchain, all these things in the world. Uh, and, you know, sitting down and writing and sharing ideas is never going to get old. No, no, I, yeah, no, you're right. And I have to tell you a funny story. I one of my PhD students, and of course, you know, they, um, they get a PhD in the old world, so they have to write this book. But I want him to make a, um, an infographic every week. And the reason why I want him to do that is to share that infographic with people so, you know, he can influence others and learn from others when they get feedback. It's so much better. And he loves that stuff. You know, the guy was, he could draw very well. He's kind of artist. So why not let him be the artist? Think about it, make an infographic instead of just having him write a boring article and don't use the, you know, the art that he, well, he can paint very well. But we don't want him to do that because it's not academic enough. And I think that's kind of weird. So I let him be the artist that he wants to be. But at the same time, do something, you know, creative, uh, something scientific as well. And I think infographics are not a perfect way to share, to influence and to start, you know, a dialogue. Absolutely. It's about... I want him to vlog. But yeah, that's, that's it, the next step. It's about putting people in positions of strength. I mean, you still have to challenge them. It's not that you necessarily have to like put them in a position of total weakness and then, you know, force them into a certain box. It's about, okay, this person has a certain skill set. Now see if they can adapt it for something new. That's exactly right. And that's uh, to bring that back to the education. I think that's what education should do more. uh, Getting people ready for the decentralized world. Or at least showing them what the decentralized world is, what the differences are, all that is okay. But so far, not so much. <laughs> well, we're doing it right now with this podcast. So, you know. Those oh, yeah, sure. That, no, no. We, hopefully we, the we, are, we are converted. But now we have to make sure that the others follow us. Yeah, exactly. Because it's happening. I mean, I'm just seeing things happen so quickly and on the tech side of things. I, I mean, this pace of innovation that we're going through right now, even I'm struggling to keep up. And I read this stuff on a daily basis. Like there is no end 
to what is happening right now when it comes to artificial intelligence, when it comes to you know what's happening with all these corporations, even the geopolitics of it all, because it's all being influenced by the tech at the same time as well. And we've we've hit a new paradigm. Like it, it's happening. You know, we're gonna in retrospect probably look back at this, you know, five, 10 years from now and go, whoa, like that was a crazy time. Things went really fast. But right now it's like it's happening. So we're we're in the middle of it. We just we aren't even fully aware of everything that's happening at this moment because there's so much happening, it's beyond what a single person can even comprehend. No, that's exactly right. That's another thing that I see that, uh, you know, we talked about Gen X and, and all the generations. And what I see them do is that they look at some of these technologies in isolation. So they look at blockchain in isolation. They look at machine learning in isolation. And I, I think you should look at all these things. You know, they start amplifying and accelerating each other. And then you realize how fast things go. And it happens everywhere. It happens in healthcare, in, in agriculture. It's, it's amazing. Uh, we start, you know, cloning, all this stuff is happening. And we also have to think about it because if we just let it happen, that's not good either. And that's what communities can do as well. We can think about, is this all right? Or what should we do different in order to make the world better? That's why I like about communities as well as this co-creation idea where technologists and non-technologists can actually work together and think together how we can use this technology for the better so how can we create a better world and how can these technologies actually solve the problems that we have in the environment or climate or whatever but we have to do this together and that's why another thing what i love about communities so uh, my students are law students but i teach them for instance there's a course coding for lawyers where i bring in a mathematician oh man that scares the hell out of them because they all chose you know to become a law student in order to never ever see that math professor again and there all of a sudden he is but it's this being able to have a dialogue with people with different skills and different knowledge that's what we need and that's why i really believe in the in this decentralized world because the centralized world is not gonna it's not gonna happen there they all think in they they operate in boxes whereas in the decentralized world is more open but then we have to teach them how to co-create and how to have this meaningful dialogue. I've actually met several lawyers recently that are now taking courses in programming because they want to learn smart contracting um, because yes. they see that as the future of law. They see smart contracts as the future of law. They're like, they're, they realize that all the stuff that they learned in school that is just going to be automated in the future. So the only way that sure. they can have a job in 10, 15 years from now is to be the one to automate it. Um, because yes. if they're in control of those automation systems, then they're employed. Uh, and so it literally requires, you know, learning both the law and also understanding smart contracts and being able to write smart contracts and code. Yeah, no, I, I'm convinced. So, uh, you know, I was, I think, one of the first in this area of the world that introduced coding for lawyers. And if I want, I can be a millionaire because, you know, I can teach that course almost everywhere. Now, seriously, it's, it's, the, the demand is like enormous. Mm -hmm. uh, but also that course is a co-creation course. So it's not me as a lawyer teaching it. I'm one of the uh, guys teaching it. But I bring in a mathematician. I bring in a coder. I bring in somebody who thinks about the ethics. And basically, we call it coding for lawyers. But basically, it's decentralization for lawyers. So how can they operate in a decentralized world? 
And that could be, you know, through blockchain, smart contracts, artificial intelligence, algorithms, etc. But they have to understand that in order to have a, a meaningful dialogue with people that are much, much better coders, because these lawyers will never be the super coders. But they have to understand it's a mindset that I want to teach them because if they don't understand this decentralized world, if they don't have that right mindset, they are not able to co-create. That's the reason why I introduced the course. Because some people say, oh, you want to make coders of them. Ah, I don't think that uh, that's going to happen, uh, that you have one term and you will be a brilliant coder. No way. And by the way, I don't want to offend the real coders, actually, <laughs> that I would be able to teach students to become coders. No way. But I want to teach them the mindset and the math behind it so they can understand it better and, and you know, contribute uh, to whatever these coders are doing. Because I've seen this in practice. I was part of this experiment when, you know, these coders were doing all kinds of things. But then we had the discussion with them and then the coders said, oh, God, man, we never thought about that. But we can code for it. So basically the smart contract became much smarter because yeah. of, you know, the meaningful dialogue. Well, and it's, it's a language barrier because all these different industries all speak different languages. So your coders speak yes. in different terms than your lawyers. The lawyers are speaking in different terms than the coders. And you need that middle ground. You need to be able to, as a lawyer now, understand what a coder is talking about when they're talking about writing a smart contract and vice versa. Coders need to take the initiative to be able to understand what the lawyers are talking about when they're talking about the law and ethics and all of these other things. Because, I mean, if you look at the centralized tech industry, uh, they did not talk to enough ethicists and the lawyers, um, you know, when they were creating some of their systems and some of their theses for these social networks and the systems we're using today, uh, they're, they're severely flawed. Um, and they've got major challenges that we're now having to overcome the decentralized tech industry because the centralized tech industry didn't co-create. They didn't take these things into consideration. No. So exactly. we're seeing that play out with Twitter. We're seeing that play out with Facebook because they didn't embrace change and they didn't embrace working with other mindsets and they just programmed a solution that was optimized for them to make money. Uh, they didn't optimize it for people. So that's what happens when you unfortunately, you know, build something and don't build a community around it and you just build it for profit. So, you know, with all of that said, I've got to ask you, since you are on the Hacker Noon podcast, what is some time in your life that you've had to hack something? Oh, God. No, I think um, it's the, um, it's me becoming part of the decentralized world by trying to become part of the decentralized world by starting to block every week. First, I just wrote a blog and then a month, nothing, and then uh, two in a week. But now it's more consistent. I think uh, that's very important because that teaches me how the decentralized world works. And I was definitely trained in a centralized world. And I grew up in a centralized world and I work in a centralized company. But this gives me an idea of how it works. And that's important because it's the only way for me to inspire my students and to teach them, to give them at least, no, to introduce them to the decentralized world so they can become part of, you know, this, this co-creation that we talked about, which is definitely necessary to, to make the world a better place and to deal with the problems that we currently have. And do you have some final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I think 
all the people that you know we they believe in the the centralized the decentralized world i think we should uh, continue to do this inspire other people show them the advantages so because the more diverse the community is the better because we definitely need diversity in the community to come up with the the best possible solutions and where can people find you and i think you know yeah every week i write i write on hackanoon so when you go to the Hackenoon uh, site and you type in my name from Yulin, there's a chance that you will see me. Another thing which you can do, when you go to the, uh, the Hackenoon uh, crowdfunding document, even I'm, I'm there with my name there as well, and probably you will find me through that. It's not that difficult to find me, otherwise you just Google me. Well, thank you for contributing to Hackernoon and, you know, being one of our writers. Uh, it's, it's amazing to have, uh, you know, your weekly thoughts on the site. Well, thank you so much, um, and um, yeah, have a, have a good day. I'm going to sleep soon, I see. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.